Hello, Lewis fans, and welcome to the Mere Lewis Podcast. My name is Thornton. And my name is Taylor. We're two brothers who enjoy C.S. Lewis and want to take themselves and others on a journey through his writings. Back again. I'm doing well. Back again in the saddle. <laughs> Back in the saddle again, I, if I do say so myself. Yes, I have been looking forward to this all Oh, week. very good. Me too. Me too. I'm, all, I'm, I'm always yeah. looking forward to being able to talk. Yes, and, and, and talking about C.S. Lewis just makes it that much sweeter. It's like the butter on the bread. Amen. Ain't that right? I like it. Yeah. So how has your engineering classes been going, brother? Oh, they're man? good. Very good. That's just nothing too serious right now. Just mainly Gen A classes. So it's pretty pretty standard stuff. Uh, just with work, it gets really busy. You know, the same old, same old. Um, mm-hmm. Nothing to complain about, you know? How's the new job? Well, I haven't started yet. I'm oh. still on my 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 mini sabbatical, gotcha. as I'm I'm thinking of very good, but it's I know yeah. So yeah, I got a few more weeks before I start, but yeah, I'm um, getting a little antsy. But I did uh, finish working on the uh, version 1.0 of my app. Yeah, very good. How's that going? How's it work? It's good. Yeah. So yeah, it should be hitting the app of uh, the Apple App Store uh, in a day uh-huh. or two, and it's called the Platoon Leader. Ooh, so, I like. Yeah, so it's been fun. Yeah, just sort of putting together a lot of stuff uh, that I that I uh, would have liked to have known when I was in the army, uh-huh. and and so yeah, I if I can just help one person avoid some of the the failures that I had, and uh, I just surmount some of the challenges I face, I, I think it will it will be a success. Good. Very cool, man. I like that a lot. You think like, oh, an app? Let me just sort of whip that together. But it's, it's a lot. There's a lot of little. Yeah, a lot I, of little nuances. I believe that, because, for real. Yeah, it ate. Yeah, it ate my lunch a couple a couple of times, but I I figured out figured out a solution to whatever problem I was facing. Okay, very cool. Yeah. Oh, something else I've been wanting to tell you. So we've talked about how the some of the benefits of doing this podcast. So like how we, it's like just a good motivation to read Lewis and. Obviously, it's a uh, uh, extra motivation for for us to spend some time together. But I discovered another benefit of this podcast. What's that? So all this research that we've been doing on Lewis's life or on each particular book. I so as as I've been doing my research, I've discovered that the Wikipedia pages are very much wanting in, in a lot of information in detail. That's interesting. So, yeah, and so with the Pilgrim's Redress and uh, Problem of Pain, I have been able to like inc- like add maybe three, four times as much information as, as they previously had on. Oh, that's awesome! So you've actually done your ed- the editing yourself. Yep, yeah, did the editing myself. Which yeah, well, that was the first time I'd ever edited a Wikipedia page, so that was. Um, that was a learning experience, but yeah. So now, now the world as a whole should know a lot more about Pilgrim's Redress and Problem of Pain than than they used Very to. Very good. That way, if anybody gets curious off this podcast, they'd have a good, they have a place to go looking. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, so like I know with our our background, context, and, and overview stuff, uh, we we I put a lot more information on the Wikipedia page, and and this is sort of like an abbreviation of that. Okay, I like it. So, 
Taylor, would you like to go ahead and move into the background and context oh, sure. of uh, Children's Regress? I can give a little bit of information. There's just a little bit. So we'll start it off. Here we go. So, in September of 1931, C.S. Lewis, J.R.R. Tolkien, and a good friend of theirs, they had a famous night at Addison's Walk, where they walked around Magdalen College discussing myth and how Christianity is the true myth. And from what I understand, this was Lewis's problem. This was one of Lewis's critiques was that, or one of his problems with um, accepting Christianity as the true myth was that he just thought it was, you know, a myth among many. He certainly respected myths, but he didn't think it was necessarily uh, something to base your whole life and philosophy right. on. He was, I guess, a theist, and he converted from theism to Christianity. Right. All, all right. Uh, and later, he he sort of yeah accepted Christ as his personal mm-hmm. savior. Um, but yeah, so yeah, a year after this this famous walk at Magdalen College, Lewis wrote the Pilgrim's Redress, and it and and wrote it in August of 1932. And he wrote it when he was, him and his longtime friend, Arthur Greaves, were on vacation in Northern Ireland. Oh, very cool. I didn't know that. I didn't know he was on vacation when he wrote it. That's so cool. During the same time, he wrote The Allegory of Love, which wouldn't be published for several more years. But Lewis was gifted with lightning fast writing, and he rarely wrote second drafts. So he published The Pilgrim's Regress in May of 1933. So, yeah, an allegory is a story, poem, or picture that can be interpreted to reveal a hidden meaning, typically a moral or political one. Okay, interesting. Well, this book is just a lot, right? Like, we've talked about this before. This book has so – it's very dense, very dense, lots Mm -hmm. of references, lots of symbolism, which we'll get into a little bit, very, very, very little bit. Just if anyone actually wants to read it, it's a very good book, but be aware that you're going to have to do a lot of research. But um, it just discusses a lot of the like philosophy of religion, right? So, not necessarily yeah. apologetics, but more like, hey, this is this is just his story. This is the things that he thought about. These are the things that stumped him when it came to what does he believe about Christianity, and ultimately, they're the things that he overcomes, right? And you'll see that in John's uh, in John's journey throughout the book. But like I said. I mean, we all know C.S. Lewis is a genius. He's a very, very smart guy, a layman genius, I guess you would say. But this struggle that he has had and this story that he writes is powerful and it's very, very good. Once you kind of, I don't know, once you trudge your way along that along that road that he's walked, it's it's very good, very good and very, very insightful. Very cool. And we just want to let the readers know as we go through the overview of the text that this is a spoiler alert. There's a lot that we don't cover so there's still it's still very profitable to read it for yourself but we will definitely reveal the major plot points mm-hmm. so modeled on and parodying the title of Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress the story serves as an allegory for Lewis's spiritual journey it centers around the main character John who as a boy grows up in Puritania under the stern elusive and seemingly tyrannical landlord right and while he's in puritania he discovers he has um visions of an island that fills fills him with uh indescribable yearning right so at first mm-hmm. he thinks that the yearning is um lust personified in, the, in these little in these little brown girls right that um kind of meet him and and you know 
But when he unmasks this mistake, right, when he sees the error, he decides to flee his homeland and his perceived oppressor, the landlord, in search of, uh, of the far off island that, he's, that he has this indescribable yearning for. And um, this, is one of the, this is one of my contentions, right? We spoke about this once before, about brown girls. Mm-hmm. Kind of, how would you describe his, his, his view on, or like, I guess his usage of this, this image, Thornton? What would you say? Yeah, the, the brown girls, I know, yeah, you and I have talked about it before, how we when we first read it, we found it uh, offensive. And it, it's certainly, I guess, unfortunate that, that this image did not age well. Right. The, so when I was doing my research, I found this blog called, by Crystal Hurd. Her blog is crystalherd.com. And she talks about this specific incident, wh- why Lewis used brown girls. And, and he... He's, he's not saying that women of color are like temptresses, mm-hmm. like inherently. And, if, and because if he thought that, he would have made John more of a victim. Mm-hmm. But Lewis clearly portrays that John is is a co-conspirator, that like John is the culpable one. And, but, and again, this is an allegory. So Lewis was employing the color brown, not as anything about their skin, but sort of like the condition of their souls. Mm-hmm. Basically, a brown representing a faint hue of darkness. Okay, I got and, you. Yeah, so it, it's more about the the girls' souls and and nothing about their their skin. Color. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So yeah, and yeah, we'll in the show notes we'll we'll have the link to blog for for everyone's. Oh, reference. very good. Well, mm-hmm. all that aside, um, after he leaves Puritania to flee the landlord as it were, uh, along the way, he, he meets Mr. Enlightenment, right? Which is a personification of 19th century rationalism. In the cities of Thrill and Astropolis, Astropolis meaning an ugly city in Greek, he meets personifications of romantic love, the modern literary movement, and Freudianism. He thinks he found the island through aesthetic experience, but damaged by these characters and seeing his error, he abandons the cities. And eventually, John comes upon the spirit of the age, and the, the spirit of the age captures John. Mm. Uh, the spirit, or what can also be known as the, the zeitgeist, is drawn as a giant whose gaze makes everything transparent. So when the spirit of the age looks at John, everyone, including John, can see his insides, his, his bowels, his stomach, his lungs, etc., and the giant tries to convince John that that's all he is, that, th- that there's nothing beyond all the, the tubes and liquids and material of his body. Mm. But reason, personified as a gallant woman knight, comes to the rescue to slay the spirit of the age. And then reason then leads John all the way to the Grand Canyon. As he tries to figure out how to cross the church personified as Mother Kirk, comes by and explains to him the reason for the canyon, which is the sin of Adam, and that she, the church, right, is the only one who can get him across. And at this point, he says, you know, he says thanks, but he'll, he'll, he's going to take the long way around. You know, he's, he's, um, he's not ready yet to accept her, to accept her help. Yeah. As we all right. Do. So John then goes north, and he meets three pale men personified as Mr. Sensible, 
Mr. Neo-Angular and Mr. Humanist, who are served by a creature named Drudge. These men do not help John as they talk of seeing through things that they had not even seen. John then goes further north to discover a valley filled with caves and inhabited by trolls and ruled over by a near giant named Savage. They serve as models for Marxism and fascists. And John leaves with an ominous warning from Savage that he will destroy the three pale men. Mm. Drudge, who left the pale men to travel with John, stays with Savage. And then I just we have to remember that Lewis wrote this in 1933. Mm. And it's and so it's it's kind of interesting to me how in a in a way he sort of foresaw or uh, predicted uh, World War II in, in, in a sense, or just saw the some of the uh, fascist tendencies mm. throughout Europe, and yeah, and, and and then Dave Savage, this ominous warning. Ooh, very true, very enlightening. That's I never, I never put that together. Holy crap, that's so cool. Yeah, okay, very nice. Well, getting back to our overview, I guess. Uh, turning yeah. back. And going south along the road, John meets Mr. Broad, who represents, and I quote, modernizing religion, which is friends with the world and goes on no pilgrimages. Right. So I, so I, I kind of took it to mean like this is the um, the progressive Christian or the one that I, the Christian with no substance. At first, you're like, oh, this this guy must be the, the, the real deal. This must be what Lewis is looking for or what John's looking for. And. Then, it, like I said, the bound, his boundaries or what he considers right and wrong or what he considers acceptable just continues to expound until it's, uh, it's yeah, it's meaningless. Mm -hmm. Well, after so after he meets Mr. Broad, right, um, mm -hmm. John reaches the house of wisdom, right, who teaches him mm -hmm. what is lacking from the notable philosophies of the 20th century, which to Lewis were the idealist philosophy, materialism, and a new word here that I had to look up and me and, and, me and Thorne have talked about it. Hegelianism, right? Yep. Which, like, which we use as a German philosophy, right? Very, very interesting. I've never heard of it. Yeah, sort of. Yeah, the the person who influenced Nietzsche and Marx. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. And it, as we talked, like one of his big things was how you could reduce history and art and religion and every other social organization into like synthesis or thesis, antithesis, synthesis, and then the cycle just repeats. I gotcha. But, Yep. Uh, continuing along the canyon, John runs into a man with a capital M, who he learns from that he must accept grace or die. He had wondered if he could live by philosophy or pantheistic beliefs, but after accepting grace, John feels obligated to acknowledge the existence of the landlord. He doesn't want to do this, though, since he wants to call his soul his own. But if, it, if he does acknowledge the landlord, then he'll have no privacy or superiority over anything. Hmm. After moving on from the man, John discovers a hermit named History. History tells John that not everyone has, a, has clear visions of the islands, right? But they receive pictures that prove similar. So this is his reference to that indescribable longing, right? So everybody has an indescribable longing and they're not the same, but, you know, they're the, it's what he's getting at is this is the thing that leads that leads someone to Christ, right? Or leads someone to the Lord. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. But he goes on to say, some don't have the benefit of Mother Kirk. They don't have the benefit of the church, 
But the landlord stirs up pictures and sweet desires to lead them there anyway. Right. Yes. Yep. Yep. John wants to leave, but reason will not let him and leads him to Mother Kirk. Mother Kirk instructs him to dive into a pool of water. John says that he doesn't know how, but then learns that diving is simply the art of ceasing to do anything. Mm. After diving, he then finds the island and discovers that it is only the other side of the mountains, which he had known his whole life in Puritania. Yay, the irony. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so the regress portion of the title, it now you know comes full circle. Um, John journeys back home, and now he sees everything in a new light. And he sees how the road he took, the, one, the journey that he, has, that he has taken this entire time, it was a knife's edge between heaven and hell. So, yeah, everything that we, uh, Taylor and I, have described is the narrative of the book, the, the bare bones plot. But there are so many other philosophical ins and outs. Uh, every point that we talked about, there was a couple pages where John was talking to the, the, the allegorical figure about philosophy, about religion. And, and it's just so much to unpack mm-hmm. and explore and more than we could, we could do in this, in this time. Uh, we also did not mention John's travel companion, Virtue, who Virtue goes on his own sort of philosophical and spiritual pilgrimage of sorts before he and John or him and John are joined in, into one person. Which is a very kind of weird. Well, no, it's a really cool image, but it's still kind of a weird idea. But yes. anyway, in Surprised by Joy, um, Lewis, he talks about how exhausting it was, right, to chronicle all the details of this conversion. And I, I can see why. He was very thorough and detailed about what was going on inside of his mind and inside of his spirit. And that's what makes it so difficult. Yeah, I think we certainly profit from it now. But, yeah, I can imagine how how uh, exhausting it is. Oh, so, Taylor, let me tell you something else that I've been doing recently that I that I can sympathize with Lewis on this front mm. is – so I have a, I found an old journal from when I was in high school and uh, from like all the, my Bible reading and other things going on. And, and I was, I was just curious. I was like, and, and I know this is, this is nerdy, but I was like, I wonder if I put all these verses that I wrote down that had like a meaning for me at that moment. I was like, oh, let me put them in an Excel sheet <laughs> and. And, and and see like what trends or like what sort of um, themes I can discover. This is so and, you. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It is. <laughs> uh, so I'll I, I haven't finished it, but I'll, I'll spare you the the lessons learned so far. But I, I can certainly empathize with Lewis about how exhausting it is to not only keep up your spiritual life but also chronicle it uh, and mm. and look back on it. So, Taylor, what did you think of the book? Um, I liked the book. It was, like uh, like we mentioned before, it was very dense. It was hard for me to um, understand it all in one go. But there are plenty of resources out there on the mm-hmm. Internet and other books that will explain all the different types of um, all the allegory, reference, symbolism, all of that. Um, but to me, I think... Whenever I think about Lewis, I think about how he is able to make ideas um, 
simplified, easier, you know, down to earth. Now, whenever I read, whenever I read this, um, it made me kind of almost not identify wholly, but think about how I came to faith through not came to faith, but sort of came back, mm-hmm. right? Because yeah. I had, because I had a similar story. Whereas I was dealing with, I was dealing with, um, sort of faith crisis, mm-hmm. and then I walked away from the faith, came back after reading, mm-hmm. um, mere Christianity, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. But what really, what really, what I think really stood out to me was his moral argument because I had mm-hmm. never heard that before, mm. and from ever since I was a child, I can all, I could always. I don't know. I could. I feel like I had a. I had a um, fairly competent. Yeah. Moral compass, or I'd say, um, I wanted things to be right and wrong, and I wanted things, yeah. and I and I felt that they were supposed to be that supposed to be one way or the other. When he described his moral law, the natural law, how it mm-hmm. how it um, is written on our hearts, it's in our it's in our image, the image of God. About that's that's why. I think that's why it, it sort of um, resounded mm. in my mind. Resonated. Resonated. That's the mm-hmm. word. Thank you. That's how it, I, it resonated in my mind because I felt that natural law. Mm. I felt that pressing upon me. I mm. also realized that I wasn't following it right, that whole thing. Um, and I think that that is sort of paralleled in his longing mm-hmm. for that island, that his yeah. longing for that feeling mm-hmm. that nothing on earth was able to satisfy but the landlord or God mm-hmm. in Lewis's case. Um, so as I was reading it, I was also kind of, I don't know, processing a little bit more of my own story. Mm-hmm. It was very cool. And I think that, I think that anyone who gets to read this, if they are believers, I think that they'll experience something similar. Yeah. I think this is one of the better stories or quote unquote autobiographies mm-hmm. of someone's conversion. And, I have I Lewis has given me a much better appreciation for allegories and it makes me wish that more people wrote in mm-hmm. allegories because I, I was thinking I was like the only books or the only stories that I can think of that are or novels that I can think of that are full-blown allegories is this one the Pilgrim's Progress mm-hmm. and uh, the Phantom Tollbooth and I'm trying to think those are probably the only full-blown allegories I can think mm-hmm. of. I'm sure there's more. I'm sure there's more, but yeah, not a lot of people right. write in allegories, so it's right. in a sense it's kind of hard to pull off. But I think yeah, Lewis did uh, a great job. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I like I like to use some, sometimes the the esoteric references mm-hmm. and the the Latin and yeah, the Latin without translations. Yeah, he just throws those in there I like know. it's nothing. Like everyone should know. Exactly. It's like, are you serious? I, <laughs> it's like, and it's like it what? It's like once or twice. Like you might be like, okay, whatever. Or sometimes you might like be able to understand what he's saying through context. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it's just it's pure gibberish. Right, and it's one after the other after the other after the other. Yeah, it, I, I would. It would be interesting to do like a, a quantitative like analysis to see like how many Latin phrases he mm-hmm. had per page. Because sometimes it felt like, like half a dozen, mm-hmm. like every every I guess couple paragraphs. And not only Latin, I think there was some French in there too. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, some French and uh, and uh, so yeah, like you you mentioned resources earlier, and there was one I found. It was called uh, Louisiana, 
L E W I S A N I A dot com that like had a chapter by chapter explanation of each of the references. Mm-hmm. That was pure gold once I found that. Uh-huh. There's a lot of other great things to mine from from the book. Like my one of my favorite quotes was when Reason was speaking to John about the spirit of the age and and specifically the eye that could see into everyone. And Reason says, He showed you by a trick what our inwards would look like if they were visible. That is, he showed you something that is not, but something that would be if it if the world were made all other than it is. But in, in the real world, our inwards are invisible. They are not colored shapes at all. They are feeling things. The warmth in your limbs at this moment, the sweetness of your breath as you draw it in, the comfort of your belly because we breakfasted well, and your hunger for the next meal, these are the reality. All the sponges and tubes you saw in the dungeon are the lie. So yeah, that quote is probably one of the biggest takeaways for me from the Mm. book. Because it is... Just it just sort of reminds me that yeah, like we do have tubes and mechanisms within our body that help us live and breathe and stuff, but that's that's not who we are. Who we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not real life. Like real like real life is like it says, like there's feeling warmth and cold and and feeling love and loss and mm-hmm. that is the experience of living. Yeah. So it's like yeah, there's things that contribute to it, but just because those contribute to it, that's not the the base reality mm-hmm. uh, so and I think that's a, that's a theme that he continues to develop and play again in mm-hmm. in his other works which we'll we'll, we'll see later mm-hmm. uh, but yeah that that one is because yeah because you'll read about studies that prove such and such a thing mm. and but that it does it seems to go contrary to I guess your daily experience and everyone seems to tell you like, Oh no, it's, it's this study that says is, is the truth. But, mm-hmm. uh, just this quote makes me, I guess maybe cast a little, uh, skepticism on, on that way of thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, what, what were some of your, your favorite quotes, Taylor? Well, I think that when it comes to the spirit of the age, I, I also was floored by it whenever I, whenever I began to think about it because yeah. What he's saying is the spirit of the age is trying to tell you that everything you see, right, mm-hmm. it's just what you see. Mm-hmm. It's not about that experience like you were saying. It's mm-hmm. actually just about what is here, what is now, what you can see, mm-hmm. taste, and touch. Mm-hmm. But I, th- I think it's really interesting that it is reason mm-hmm. who comes to save him. Yeah, Reason who is not a part of that natural world that mm-hmm. the spirit of the age is talking about. Instead, mm-hmm. it's something else, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, you see this. You see a similar theme within Miracles, mm-hmm. his book Miracles, in chapter three, where he talks about how reason is actually could be a proof of God, because where could reason mm-hmm. have come from within, yeah. say, evolutionary mm-hmm. theory? Um, I thought it was really interesting how it was a separate entity a separate person known as reason but i thought it was very cool how he yeah. again sort of incorporates that um his his ideas about reason into this whole into this whole mm-hmm. mishmash 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 pitch podge yeah. is that the word otherwise there's a lot there's so many different characters and they say so many cool things 
I one thing I did like about this is how you can see the seeds of a lot of other things that he'll bring up in later works. Mm-hmm. Like when John goes through the pool and sees that he's on the other side of the mountain and it was the the mountains that he grew up with all his life that reminded me a because li- he's like on a on a beach of sorts on the island right and it reminded me of the the end of the Don Treader when they're like at the like quote unquote edge of the world mm-hmm. at the and wall of of water yeah or is that just the movie it's actually it was a wall of water I believe right so there. yeah that mm-hmm. that Reaper Chief mm-hmm. traveled yeah. over and then as we mentioned, he likes allegory. Mm-hmm. And Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe is not an allegory. but Not a direct allegory. Not a direct actually. allegory, but it certainly has, yeah. So it's like a, a, a step removed from allegory mm-hmm. and closer to yeah, just uh, normal fantasy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I'm trying to think of some other... Oh, and just... You can also kind of see conceptually the seeds of screw tape letters. Where, mm. like, there's no demons in this, but... Um, the, like de- the dialogue, yeah, the the dialogue, the how like Lewis personifies a lot of philosophies, mm. uh, and makes yeah creates talking heads of sorts, and yeah, then the demons, screw tape and wormwood are sort of talking heads for uh, the spiritual life. Mm. Uh, so there's also a lot of themes that he he mentions in this book. Like one, he explored a theme of where the higher form of something is like the natural form of it and not the 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 base form of it for example like again going back to the spirit of the age like mm. the the spirit of the age was trying to show john that your disgusting innards and stuff like that 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 base level of you that is reality but no like reasons like no the, the higher form of you the one who's thinking and feeling that's the natural that's the natural state of things this was a quote that i really liked it was so reason and john talked about living in doubt reason reason says in astropolis it is impossible for the people who live there have to give an opinion once a week or once a day or else Mr. Mammon would soon cut off their food. But here in the country, you can walk all day and all the next day with an unanswered question in your head. You need never speak until you have made up your mind. Mm. I love that because I, I feel like that's still applicable today. Mm-hmm. Like Everyone can look at their phones and have like a million opinions. And obviously, you, you've heard about clickbait. And mm-hmm. you just think about those people who write the clickbait articles. Like, right. like they're financially interested in having an opinion mm-hmm. and they have to like churn something out or they won't get paid so it's like so you wonder they really believe it you yeah. wonder if it's something that means anything to them exactly yeah and I'm, I'm sure yeah they have some level of belief in it because like some it's really hard to write something you don't necessarily believe but it's like how strongly mm-hmm. yeah do they do they believe in it and or how, how much have they turned it over in their in their minds or are they just regurgitating something else that someone else has thought mm-hmm. so it's uh so i was thinking about it, I was like oh wow like yeah like that is true almost a hundred years later mm-hmm. um and it and it also just sort of gave me the freedom that like hey i don't necessarily have to make a decision on something i can mm-hmm. continue to like turn it over and until i get more evidence or until i have more experience yeah. and um yeah yeah i think that it i think that it pays to do 
to really simmer on something, to really try and understand it for yourself, rather than having to spit out an opinion immediately as an answer, or to get an immediate answer from someone else. It's, it's, it's almost personalizing your own answer. Mm -hmm. And even if it's wrong, you'll find out later, but yeah. you came to the conclusion and the answer yourself. Yep. I think that that's powerful, and I think that that's something that we're missing today. And it's very, it's timeless the way that the Lewis writes it. What was the longest that you can remember it took you to either make the decision or make your mind up about something? Mm. Mm. That is a tough one. I'm not sure right off the top. Well, I think that for me, it takes me a long time to really motivate myself, get up the motivation to to make a decision, especially a hard decision. Mm -hmm. Because, um, you know, that's something that I struggle with personally. But the last time, I it was during it was during a relationship, actually, and I was mm -hmm. deciding whether or not I wanted to continue the whole thing. It took me a few months, mm. you know, and whether that was fair or unfair, I wanted to be sure, yeah. you know. And I think that, as well as in our personal lives, right, we we deal with that sort of thing in our own in our spiritual journeys as well. I think that it's, I think that everybody at some point has to come to terms with what they believe to be right and what they believe they should do. Okay, so now let's talk about some criticisms of the work by some of his contemporaries and some of our contemporaries. Yep, there's there's quite a bit of it. It's, it's a very very interesting case um in the years after the book publication the book found it found mixed reviews george sayer found it remarkable how acutely lewis could diagnose and explain the weaknesses of contemporary doctrine right and two catholic critics also thought lewis of their fold after reading the book and thought the allegory ended in rome yeah, others found difficulties, and Lewis wrote a preface in the third edition to help explain more more of what he meant. He, he criticized himself for, quote, needless obscurity and an uncharitable temper, mm -hmm. and, end quote. And, and I think, yeah, you, you and I have talked about it, Taylor, how a lot of his Greek and Latin just and esoteric mm -hmm. references and French is just is infuriating sometimes. Yeah, because you have to sit there and look up everything that he says. Yeah, it's, yeah sometimes just kind of know what, what's going on. And, and in the in the show notes, we'll, we'll have a link to a website that explains and translates all the all the references to help help your, make your time easier mm -hmm. with the listener. Yeah. So Lewis also admits that he had a, a very specific idea of romanticism that was much different from the rest of the world. Yeah, I think Lewis had the uh, the medieval idea, and I think the other people probably had the romantic love idea. So I think they were probably uh, very surprised when they picked up Lewis. Right. Book. Honestly, though. Yeah. Honestly, I was surprised, and I'm still surprised when I sit there and look at it and think about it, honestly. Uh, Lewis also mistook his protagonist, John, as, as a relatable everyman. He said he was wrong in thinking that most people came to Christ the way he did. Philip and Carol Zaleski criticized Lewis for populating his book with straw men, right? They said that his characters were not personifications, but more like pet peeves. This was Lewis at his least charitable, and he, and he says so. 
And he made too strong a case for his conversion. They say that the experience taught Lewis, the experience taught Lewis to wear his allegory a little more lightly. The book did catch the eye of a certain publisher, though, that thought Lewis might be the perfect writer for a special project. And that project turned into the problem of yeah, pain. Yeah, very good. And he kind of talks about it at the beginning of, of, of Problem of Pain. For mentions and references in pop culture, I, I couldn't find any for Pilgrim's Redress. Uh, I, I know I had not heard of this book either myself until we had decided to do right. this podcast. And then now for our Pil- Pilgrim's Redress game. Oh, my. Okay, so for this episode, we will do a catchphrase sort of uh, game. So we have we've had an outside helper write down six either places or character names onto uh, six different index cards, and so one of us will draw, and within two words has to describe that person or place. And then the other person has to guess who it is. So there, there are six cards, okay. so three of them for each of us. And we'll, we'll see how, how both of us do. Okay. Would you like to take the card and read it first, or would you like to try and guess first? I will read it first. Okay. All right, here we go. Ready? Yes. Ready. Original okay. Passion. Original Passion. Uh... Oh, is that the island? Yes, ah, it is the island. Okay. Yes, it is. All right, now you pick one for me? Yes. All right, here we go. Oh, I almost said the word when I saw yeah. it. <laughs> I was like, oh. Okay. Yeah. It is, oh, I just. Two oh, words. Oh, two words. I'm trying to decide, do I want to describe the philosophy, mm, or do I want okay. to describe, like, the character within... Oh, I guess I gave it a little weight. And I guess I shouldn't be talking oh, right now. Oh, um, okay. I'm, I'm going to say... So we'll rule out location. Oh, uh, yes. Okay. Uh, I'm, okay, I'm going to... This I might make it easy on you. I'm going to say Drudge's Master. Oh, Mr... Um, is not is it Mr. Mammon? No. No, it's Mr... Um, Sensible. Yes. Yes, ding, that's ding. right. Ding, 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 I, ding. I said Mr. Mammon. I, I have a hard time remembering Mr. Mammon mm-hmm. in the first place. Um, I'll let that slide. I'll let, let, I'll that, let that slide? Yeah. Thank you, sir. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Um, Shining Knight. Shining Knight. Oh, okay. Reason. Yes, Reason. Hmm. It is Reason. <laughs> okay, we're doing pretty well. You're doing all right. We're doing pretty good so far. We yeah. have to be, we have, have to be stump. Yep. Okay, let's see. Oh, this one... How do I say... Oh, I might be able to do this in one word. Oh, let's see. I'm going to say... Well, I'll do two words. The Zeitgeist. The Zeitgeist. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is it the... uh, What the heck of the age? Oh, you're on the right track. What that? I can't remember the beginning part of his name. The master of the age. The... um, Oh, why am I blanking? Oh, I hate brain farts. I why am I blanking like this? The spirit of the age. Yeah, there that's you go. the one. Yes, ding ding ding. Very ding, good. Ding. Very good. All right, here we go. La- oh, not last one. All right, here we go. Um, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. <sighs> Canyon lady. Canyon lady. Oh, you did your job with that description. Yeah, so that is Mother Kirk. Mother Kirk. Yes, it awesome. is. I was gonna say the church. I was like, mm, that's boring. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, Canyon lady. I like that. Okay, last one. So, 
Oh, let's see. This is the one I'm gonna get stumped. Here we go. Maybe. Okay, I I know where the sty is at on the map. Oh. And I'm trying to think of how to That's do this good. in two words that don't rhyme. Um. Oh, I got it. Lucy Goosey. Lucy Goosey. Oh, uh, Mr. Broad. Yes. Yeah. Six for six. <gasps> ding 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 ding. Are we smart now? I, I guess so. I yeah, think we are. smart. <laughs> well, listener, we appreciate you joining us on this leg of our journey. Yeah, guys. Seriously, thanks for joining us. We really enjoyed this book, and we're hoping that you really want to read it, too, after hearing what we've said. Um, the next episode, we're going to be going over the problem of pain. It's a really good book, and we're looking forward to, to, to walking through it. Yep, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that too. I know we, you and I have been through it just about four or five times by now. So, mm-hmm. so certainly a lot, of, a lot of stuff for us to talk about. Yes, sir. About. It's going to be good. Hope to see you guys there. And feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at Mir C.S. Lewis. We'll see you guys next time.